Exodus chapter 12, verses 1 to 28. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from your the sheep or goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. On the same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses, for whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through to the seventh must be cut off from Israel. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly, and on the other uh, and on the other one on the seventh day do no work at all on these days except prepare food for everyone to eat that is all you may do celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that i brought your divisions out of egypt celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come In the first month, you are to eat bread made without yeast from evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. And anyone, whether foreigner or native born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go at once, 
and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top of the s- and sides of the doorframes and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants when you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised. Observe this ceremony and when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. Well, the historian Claire Davies says that the Christian life is a combination of amnesia and deja vu. And that's uh, an important insight because it reminds us that so much of our Christian lives is made up of relearning that which we have forgotten and remembering that we knew it before. How true is that in terms of how we live our Christian lives each day, of perhaps how we think of how we seek to live for the Lord, turning from sin, but so often seeking to do that only in our own strength, rather than relying on the Spirit. How often is that true in our relationship together, as we forget what God's Word teaches about those things, and it's true in so many other areas too. And our good God knows that. And for that reason and others, he has established patterns so that we don't forget some of the most important things in the Christian life. This week, we are going to look at one of the most important or the most important events in the Christian faith and indeed all of history and see how God calls us to remember that amazing event. And it's not the Exodus. It's the Lord's Supper and Jesus' death for us on the cross. But we are going to do that by looking together at the book of Exodus in chapter 12. Last week we uh, looked at the final and, and most solemn of the ten plagues. We saw how the Lord rescued his people from that plague that brought death to each of the firstborn sons in Egypt through the provision of a sacrificial lamb. And as we think of the events of that evening, that night, we might wonder, how is it anyone could forget that? How is it anyone could forget the the grief and the cries and the moment of the beginning of their rescue in that sense? But they could. And friends, we can. So God gave his people a meal to remember their rescue. And having considered the narrative of that, those events last week, this week we're going to take a step back and reflect particularly upon the way in which the Lord establishes the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread 
so that they might remember their rescue. Because that meal, the Passover meal, was a meal that defined the people of God. Because it told the story of God's salvation from Egypt. And the Passover is linked to the Lord's Supper. The meal that now defines in the new covenant the people of God. And the link is that that the Passover reminded Israel of God's rescue from Egypt. But it also pointed forward to the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross. And then as we think of the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper reminds us of our rescue from sin. And points back to the death of the Lord Jesus on the cross. So there is a deep connection between the two. And the Lord Jesus Christ chose the very night of the Passover meal to institute the Lord's Supper with his disciples. And in doing so, he transformed the Passover so that in the new covenant, as the new covenant people of God, we don't celebrate the Passover meal we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. If the Passover meal was the the meal for the old covenant people of God who were marked out by that biological descent from Abraham, the Lord's Supper is the meal for the new covenant people of God who are joined by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ in union with the Lord Jesus through faith in him. And so as we look together... At these two meals, we're going to see links between them and connections between them and similarities. And we're going to see four things together this morning as we look at this passage and a few other verses elsewhere. We're going to see that this family meal is a symbolic meal, our first point. Secondly, we'll see that it's a lasting meal. Thirdly, we'll see that it's an educational meal. And then fourthly, we will see that it is a believer's meal. So let's begin, first of all, with the fact that this is a symbolic meal. Well, as we think about the Passover, and we looked at this somewhat last week in chapter 12, if you look at verses 1 to 11, there are a great number of ways in which the aspects of that Passover meal reminded of God's rescue, and that's why they were to continue to eat it together. The lamb was there spotless, was there dying and sacrificed in the place of God's people in that sense, and he was so that they were spared from death. And there was much symbolism there, and we thought about how those symbolic elements pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ last week. And we're not going to focus so much on those. I want to just highlight a few others that are a part of that meal. Maybe you noticed in the reading that there were two celebrations to remember. There was, a, there was a feast of the Passover, and there was a feast of the unleavened bread. And there were various things that the Israelites had to do in terms of dealing with the leaven in their houses, not eating uh, leavened bread for seven days. And, and part of what's going on in that symbolic element is that there is a reminder of the quickness of their departure from Egypt. Because there's a reminder they had no time to wait for the bread to rise, as you need to if you're going to use leaven. So the unleavened bread was symbolic. It's mentioned in verse 8 and verse 18 of, uh, of chapter 12. Also, the, the bitter herbs there in the meal are symbolic. They're mentioned in verse 8 of chapter 12. And, and it seems that those bitter herbs were reminding the Israelites of the pain of their suffering there in Egypt. 
the, the bitterness of the oppression they experienced. And this course, uh, the hyssop that is used as a, as a brush with which they paint the doorposts with the blood of the Passover lamb. And we think that probably that points to the purification that was coming through the blood of the one who was to come, the great Passover lamb. Because if you think of Psalm 51 and verse 7, there there's a, there's a reference there to, to cleanse me with hyssop that I might be purified. So there seems to be this connection of purification that comes through that hyssop that points to the purification of the blood. But, but the rescue from Egypt, which is remembered in the Passover, was, as we've seen, pointing forward. It was a picture of the rescue that would come in the Lord Jesus Christ from sin and death and Satan. And so in the Lord's Supper, an even greater rescue is being portrayed, is being symbolized. Because there Jesus said, didn't he, that we should take and eat because this is his body. And there Jesus said of the wine, drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What the Passover lamb could never do in cleansing the sins of the people, the Lord Jesus Christ did fully, finally, once for each and every one of his people. And it's really important that we know that as we eat the bread and the wine, we are not eating something where transubstantiation has occurred. Now that's a Big word, but it's an important one for us to explain. There are some uh, in Catholic Church who would say that the, the elements become the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. But that's not the teaching of God's word. These elements symbolize the body and blood of Christ. And in the supper, we remember what was done once in the sacrifice of Jesus. It's the Catholic Church is teaching that the sacrifice of Jesus is represented again and again when they celebrate the Lord's Supper together. But that's not the teaching of God's Word. There is one sacrifice presented once in the heavenly temple of the body and blood of Jesus on one occasion for our sins. It's not a repeated event. So there is much symbolism in the Supper and also in the Passover, but there are other elements that are worth just, just noting as we, as we work through this, because notice that the Passover and the Lord's Supper is a physical meal. We are made by God to appreciate and interact with physical things. We are physical beings. We are spiritual, yes, but we're also physical. So there at the Passover, there was a physical lamb. There were other material elements to what was remembered in the occasion. And we, as human beings, are not purely spiritual beings. We are physical and spiritual. We have bodies interacting in a physical world. And so, for good reason, the Lord puts before us bread and wine as material, physical things. So that as we taste the bread and we drink the wine, we remember that Christ's body was human, physical flesh. 
that Christ's blood was real human physical blood. And that is so important because for his sacrifice to be for you and for me, if we're trusting in him, he needs to have been a real human being. And he was friends. And he is friends. He needs to have offered himself as a real human being in our place to be a perfect substitute. And that's why the animals in the old covenant there in the temple were never dealing with sin because they weren't a perfect substitute for us. They were animals, but they weren't humans in that sense. So it's a physical meal, and that reminds us of the physicality of Jesus' death, but also it's a meal that we eat together as the Lord's people. It's not an individual meal. It's not a private meal. It is a personal occasion for us to reflect on our relationship with the Lord, but it is also a collective occasion for the Lord's people as the gathered church. During the Passover, in our passage there, it was celebrated in family groups. There were groups. They weren't on their own. But as they went on, they came to celebrate it together as a nation. The sacrifices became more focused around the temple. And that development, it comes even even stronger when we come into into the Lord's Supper. We see that Scripture is clear that we are not to celebrate the Lord's Supper alone or even in small groups. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in verses 17 to 22, if you go and look at that, you will see Paul, I think it's in verse 19, where he says, and when you come together, so we're coming together as the Lord's people to celebrate this. We are gathering as a church, and it's shared together when all who can gather to remember. As I was preparing, I was reflecting on the fact that very often, I do this, and maybe you do this, during the Lord's Supper, we often have our heads down, don't we? And there's good reasons for that, because we're praying, we're we're thinking of all the Lord Jesus has done, but there is a sense in which at the same time as having our heads down, reflecting on our relationship with the Lord, I wonder if occasionally we should have our heads up and just look around to one another. Because in eating this meal together, we are remembering that we are one body. We eat the same juice. So we drink the same juice. We eat the same bread. And so that expresses very powerfully the unity and connection that we have as the people of God. And the Lord uses this meal, this occasion, to remind us to keep short accounts with one another to forgive one another, to restore fellowship if that's been broken with another believer, to repent if we know we are holding something against another Christian that we shouldn't do in that way. So we see that in this meal, it's a physical meal, that's symbolic. It's a eaten together meal, that's symbolic. And there's other elements as well of the, um, the aspects of the meal. But Just just remember that symbolism is important. You know, we rightly reject symbolism that is not commanded and is not biblical. But there is goodness in the symbolism of the Lord's Supper. Remember, uh, growing up, you know, when you're at school, often it's in primary or start of secondary, perhaps you go for an educational visit around a a church building, and it tends to be a church building that's uh, slightly more ornate and um, 
attractive, perhaps, than this room here. Um, and there are um, different parts of the building which, which have symbolism. And you wonder, well, is that something that's commanded in that sense in Scripture? Is that um, commanded in that sense? But we should appreciate and dwell upon the symbolism which God has established. And we should reflect together on the links here in the supper as we participate in the supper. When I was a fairly young Christian, uh, was during my student years, um, I was uh, invited to, to help share the supper as a part of the church family in, in distributing it, as we do here, in involving many members in doing that. And it had been an occasion uh, when the sermon had gone on slightly longer than normal, and there was some degree of urgency uh, I was feeling that the service would finish um, when it normally finishes. And I uh, rushed around in serving the elements. I even knocked some of the cups onto the floor. The pastor very kindly afterwards said to me, Matthew, it's okay. We're evangelicals and we're not Catholics, so it's okay that you've done that. But a rushing around the supper, not a good thing, is it? We need to finish promptly, but let's not rush our remembering. Because... Secondly, and that was our longer of the four points, it's a symbolic meal, but also it's a lasting meal. Because in this meal, Christ establishes uh, the Lord's Supper. He does it on the occasion of the Passover and so transforms the Passover. And so this meal, this lasting meal, our second point becomes the family meal for the people of God. And we see in the passage this emphasis upon the sense that it's lasting. So in verse 14, there is the wording that it's a, a lasting ordinance that for generations to come, as a lasting ordinance, you shall keep this. Elsewhere in the passage, that's a repeated idea. They are to continue to do it. And indeed, they kept the Passover for the 40 years in the wilderness. They kept the Passover and did so urgently when they came into the promised land there with Joshua. And so there is a necessity to remembering this occasion. And, and again, this comes out in the fact in verse 1 of chapter 12 that their whole calendar, sorry, 2 of chapter 12, their whole calendar is to be rearranged so that this month would be the first month. <laughs> so important is this occasion. And then in verse 16, and uh, how many of us wouldn't celebrate that in verse 16 there is a whole week of a national holiday. So we're going to get one extra bank holiday, aren't we, for the king's coronation. But they've got a whole week of resting from work that they may focus on this occasion. And that reminds us that the Lord's Supper is a lasting thing for us as God's people today. And it should be a regular thing for us as God's people. Now there are some words that in evangelical churches, if you use them, um, when uh, you're a preacher, you notice that people start to get slightly uncomfortable in their seats. Um, and a word that might uh, bring about that reaction in us uh, could be the word ritual. And we hear that and we think, oh, hang on. Ritual. But some rituals can be good. All the word means, I think, is it means a repeated uh, uh, service or, or event that bears a significance. This is a ritual, friends, is it not? This is a good ritual. And it should, in that sense, be something which we celebrate regularly together as the Lord's people. Now, there's a lot of debate about how often you should. 
In some churches, they do that quarterly. There was a time among Scottish Presbyterians where they celebrated the Lord's Supper just once, annually. Had a whole weekend to do so. Calvin in Geneva did so, or wanted to do so weekly, and was able to do that for a time. Seems to me that Scripture is not prescriptive as to the frequency, but in 1 Corinthians 11.25, we're reminded of Jesus' words that we should do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And so the emphasis of Scripture should be that we would, or perhaps our, our, our implication, our inference from Scripture should be that we should celebrate the Lord's Supper as often as we need the reminder to remember him. We do so twice a month here at Emmanuel. It's a lasting meal. Our second point, it's a symbolic meal. But also thirdly, it's an educational meal. Our third point, it's an educational meal. Now, our meals uh, tend to mark uh, special occasions. They, they bind us together as families, whether it's uh, birthdays or anniversaries or other things. But we're not used to having meals that are specifically designed that we might remember something. Um, so I'm thinking, for example, the, the Americans have their tradition of a Thanksgiving meal. And Thanksgiving has elements that are all there to remember um, the first harvest. So you have the, uh, the turkey, that, speaking of the, uh, the fruitfulness, and all the different things that they enjoy at that meal. But this is an educational meal, and the Lord's Supper and Passover both have educational purposes. We see there in verse 24... This emphasis that it is to be a lasting ordinance for you and for your descendants. So it's there to educate us and to educate our children and our families. That we are to continue to keep it, verse 25, when we come into the land of promise, that's for the Israelites. And then in verses 26 and 27, when the children ask, what does this ceremony mean? The reply is, verse 27, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. So Israel were commanded to keep the Passover to teach them and their children, and Christ commanded us also to keep the Lord's Supper to teach us, to teach others, including our children, because he said, do this in remembrance of me. Don't miss it, that's a command. Do this in remembrance of me. And we know that, that both meals speak of sacrifice. Christ's death is so powerfully pictured here. And in the Passover, Christ's death was pictured. Paul has those glorious words in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, where he says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So the sacrifice is clearly pictured. We're educated about that. We, we're educated about our salvation because we remember how we are spared judgment and of how we come to the table invited, not on our own merits, but on the merits of our Savior, Jesus Christ. There is also an education, a teaching in the warning of the Passover because there the punishment of Egypt is remembered in verse 27, and the Lord's Supper is a reminder and a warning also, because there there is the instruction not to eat unless you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as a reminder to come to him for salvation. And friends, the thing that we need to lay hold of here as we think about this educational element is that we need this reminder. 
And thankful I'm not in a calling where I have to attend refresher courses. But I know many are. And I understand they can be somewhat repetitive. And one remembers things that you've heard before and you wonder, well, why do we have these refresher courses? Well, you have them because the things that are being covered are important to know well and clearly and be refreshed in in that sense. And we need this reminder. So unless you are under church discipline, if you're a believer, if you're in happy fellowship with the Lord and with his people, you've been baptized according to your understanding of scripture and are in happy fellowship with this church or another fellowship or another church, then you shouldn't hold back. You need the reminder, I need the reminder, if you have a tender conscience and in a right sense, as we come around the Lord's Supper, we remember our sin and we think, how am I worthy to eat? Well, if you are repentant and looking to Christ, do not hold back. We need the reminder that we come only by grace. And friends, if we are able to come, we should see it as a great loss if we cannot be here. I wonder, could we plan our lives more intentionally so that we do not miss this? For trips away, perhaps, to see family and friends, so that we are particularly gathering to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Is it in your calendar? Second Sunday in the month in the morning the fourth Sunday in the month in the evening. Could we try to attend on an evening occasion as well? Wouldn't it be a great thing? I was praying this morning and thought, wouldn't it be a great thing if we have to book Northland School in the evening for the Lord's Supper service? It'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? 14th of February is our half-yearly wedding anniversary. Now, you wonder why we have a half-yearly wedding anniversary. Um... Well, not least because it helps me to remember, for obvious reasons, 18 and a half years this year. Um, but we're, we're often away in the summer, in the middle of August, and uh, we don't often get to market together, Naomi and I. So we try to do something special on the 14th of February and celebrate the half anniversary in that sense. But friends, this meal is so much more a significant celebration than any other celebration we could have, because it points forward points backwards to the cross of Jesus, but it points forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It reminds us that we will eat there with Christ. The Lord Jesus said that, did he not? We will celebrate with him. What a meal, what an occasion. I was listening a long time ago to Sinclair Ferguson preaching on the Lord's Supper, and he was speaking about the significance of the occasion, particularly as it's a a public declaration to one another of our unity together as a church. And that connection we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he asked the question whether there is more that we could do to help those who struggle to attend, to attend this meal. To help brothers and sisters who find it hard, but who might be able to come if we helped. And that I found that challenging when I heard it and challenging again as I remembered it this week. Could I do more to help? I am so thankful that when we see cars pulling up so that 
Lifts can be given to those who don't have a vehicle. And others help in other ways as well. But what a testimony it would be. What a testimony to each other. What a testimony to the world. That we show that we love one another so much that we will stretch so far to help fellow members come and join the family meal. It is an educational meal for us together as God's people. And then fourthly and finally, it is a believer's meal. This is a meal for the people of God. And we didn't get to it in the reading, but if you have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. Just look at Exodus chapter 12 and verses 43 through to 51. And if we can jump on to verse 48 there at the bottom of the slide. There you read these words. A foreigner residing among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males of his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat it. The same law applies both to the native born and the foreigner residing among you. Now what's going on there? Well, what's going on there is that that the Lord is teaching that you must be identified as one of God's people to eat this meal. That's the case with the Passover. So under the Old Covenant, a foreigner need to identify as one of God's people through that Israelite practice of male circumcision for the men. And so they, they express that identification with the people of God in that way. Now, biological descent or physical actions don't bring you into the people of God under the new covenants. So what does bring you in now, or what brings us in now, is faith and repentance in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what marks out the people of God today. I was preparing for the, um, uh, the uh, church planting prayer meeting this week, and the passage that um, I went to in thinking about it was the one in Acts chapter 2. And there in verse 41 and 42, where, where Peter, having, having preached this amazing sermon explaining the gospel and having called to repentance and faith, then we read these words, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So what are we seeing now? We're seeing that the way in which we join the people of God is we accept the message. We repent and believe. That is the way in which we're marked out as a people of God. We follow that in, in, in obedience, in baptism, in, in, in obeying that command of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's not complicated to join the people of God. It's wonderfully simple. All you have to do is to turn and to trust. It's one of the simplest things you can do. In terms of what is involved, but it is one of, it is the, I should say, most significant thing any human being could do. And so friends, as we come around the table, can I ask you, have you come to the people of God by faith? And if you haven't, as the Lord's people celebrate this meal, I invite you to stay and to use the time to reflect upon what's stopping you from coming. Why you couldn't come to Christ today. And address it today, friends. And if you are one of God's people by faith, then the thought I would leave us all with 
is just that phrase in there in Acts chapter 2 that says that those who knew the Lord, who had come to faith, what do we read of them? That they devoted themselves to four things, one of which was the breaking of bread. Are you, am I, devoted to the breaking of bread?